Welcome to the 99 Celsius Podcast. I'm your host, Marco Quay. Thanks for tuning in. This week's episode features my good friend, Sukari Brown. Sukari is one of the best leaders I know. Compassionate, open-minded, and cool on the surface. She was raised and educated in Brooklyn, New York, where she became a civil engineer by training. She now leverages her analytical thinking in the world of private equity. From building buildings to building companies is the tagline Sukari would use to detail her journey up to this point. I say she's building a legacy with a rock-solid foundation of varied experiences. Her greatest asset? The ability to willingly pivot. This is her story on The Art of Freestyle. Brooklyn! When even the most skilled of rappers begin a freestyle, no one knows exactly how it's going to end. In fact, in most cases, the rapper's only focus is the very next line. There's something magical, spiritual even, about the process. It is the ultimate form of trust in oneself and in a higher being to order your steps that the next step is exactly where one should be. Without noticing it, Sakari was perfectly crafted to improvise. Navigating a childhood that had her growing up in one city in two distinct circumstances with three career aspirations, it was her faith in God, perseverance, and sacrifice, or GPS that rerouted her journey to destiny. It's inspiring to see a true vessel of purpose. Still, Sakari reveals that there are some insecurities that come with the territory, an ongoing feat with imposter syndrome, and uncertainty about where she'll end up causes for some anxiety. She feels she's still on the road to boiling, and that makes it that much more of an interesting story. I present to you Episode 2. I'd like to bring to the show my very good friend and sister, Sukari Brown, welcome to the 99 Celsius podcast. Thanks, man. This is dope. I'm excited. Hey, Hi, y'all. Man. How you doing? I'm so glad that you're here. We uh, we talked about creating a platform to have conversations mm-hmm. of vulnerability a year ago. Yeah. We used to link up at your crib. Yes, very frequently. Weekly, every yeah. Sunday, and it's a Sunday today. Oh, snap. You know? It's a Sunday. It's, it's fitting. Yeah. And we used to we used to talk about our dreams of being able to bring 
reality to wax mm-hmm. and recording it and allowing people to hear it and, and vibe with it. So it's surreal that, you know, we're here a year later, literally to the date, probably. Crazy. Um, doing this. So thank you. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So how are you doing today? I mean, that's a loaded question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, today, today, start, I, today started off as a really good day. Um, it's been about a week since I've moved into my new apartment. I moved to Baltimore, Maryland now. Um, and so I'm just starting to get back into my routine. So I went down to church and that sort of thing. And my day has been a mix of emotions, but it's it's on up and up. It's on, a, on, a, on its way back up. On its way back up. Yeah. God persevere. Yeah. Right. I mean, through every, you know, through every moment of uh, devastation, there's some re- revelation in it. Uh, there's something to be gained um, in terms of how our perspective or the lesson um, or something just to be felt with whether it's joy or pain. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, my day started off great, hit a little rough patch, but it's on the up and up for sure. Hey, I hear that. And that's a that's a part of the process for all of us being able to navigate and change direction and still be able to be effective in our day to day. Yeah. Getting done whatever it is that we set out to do. And and even myself, I had quite a day as well. And I could credit you for us even being able to record today because I didn't know if I was. was, Yeah, I I wasn't really (laughs) sure. And. You said, yo, I think we should we should go ahead and press through and do this. So, yeah. um, you know, I think that in itself is a blessing for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a testament to having the right people around you. Yeah. You know, when you have individuals that can push you and make sure that you're holding yourself accountable and that they are also holding you themselves and you accountable to do the things that you say you're going to do. I think that's important. So I'm glad to see that you're you're, uh, you know, thugging it out. Yeah, man. That's how we do in Brooklyn, you know what I mean? Gotta be. (laughs) Speaking of cities, uh, you are in a a new city I am. And in in the period of transition. Yeah. So tell the people what you've been up to and and what brings you to this part of town. Sure. where you're at. So, um, yes, I just moved to Baltimore, Baltimore City, uh, last week, Friday, I guess now. And um, so it's been a little bit of an adjustment for me. I'm originally from Brooklyn. I moved to the DMV, mainly the M, Maryland, uh, about, uh, what is this, 2020? So, wow, six years ago. Mm. Um, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, so I moved to Maryland six years ago from Brooklyn. Um, spent most of my time in Montgomery County and, um, you know, had a lot of different things going on. And I, I started a new job up here in the world of uh, private equity. Um, for those who don't know what private equity is, think of venture capital and, um, that's what I do, but it's for more mature companies. So meaning like companies that have established themselves in terms of their revenue and customers and those sorts of things. So I invest in companies, um, and I do that in the beautiful city of Baltimore city right now. That is very, very dope. Yeah. I like it. It's been cool. It's been an interesting six months. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't know I was going to be here, but yeah. I'm here. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. And we'll get to the journey uh, in a little bit. But um, I think that is amazing. I was sad to see you go, go when in. you were when you were leaving uh, the DMV and going into to Baltimore. Uh, well, this away. is technically 
DMV. Uh, you know, people from the DMV, they, people, they get sensitive about including Baltimore for whatever reason. I don't know why. But the, it's, I mean, I get it, right? Because <laughs> it does feel really far away. But I feel as though, um, you know, if we are going to say M, it, it's still Maryland. It's all Maryland. It's, I'm literally 30 minutes north of what you would include in Maryland, in the DMV. Right. What's that, like Laurel, Central. right? What'd you say? Would you say Laurel? Would you, do you what, I that? include Laurel in the DMV? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yes, your definition. Of like, course. But most to most people's definition, Laurel's in the DMV. Right. right. Okay. And I feel like, okay, well, I'm 20 minutes from Laurel. So now what? Like, what do you really want to say? That's wrong. Um, but, you know, I could get a little froggy, so I'm <laughs> chill. <laughs> um, but no, I think a lot of people felt that it, it is different. I don't want to, I guess I don't want to make it seem like it's not a transition because it is being in the central part of the D.C. metro area is very different than being in the outskirts. And I recognize that. Yeah. Um, and when most of your friends and family, well, not really family, but most of my friends are based down in the D.C. area, um, whether that means you're in a, you know, the, the closer part of Maryland or Virginia, it is different in terms of getting to see me right away or getting to see each other right away because now I got a plan, right? Mm -hmm. Now it's like, all right, I'm an hour away from most of y'all. Uh, maybe 45 minutes with no traffic. I were definitely on the mark train. So it is different. And, and I, I understand that. To me, it's just like, I got a car now. So to me, the world is mine. I can be like, well, we <laughs> I could just drive to you. What you talking about? Like, I live right by the train. Like, hey, good. when I meet my New York City people that get their license a little bit later, <laughs> it, it, it reminds me of when me and the team got our licenses at like 18, All right. 17. <laughs> and, and, you know, super excited to drive. It's like, yo, Suk, we need, we need a ride. <laughs> That's for real, though. Like, I am elite. Yeah, I got my license late in my car. I just got my car six yeah. months ago. So to me, it's like, yo, what you mean? We, we got the whip. We can go. We can do anything. Like, what you talking about? Yeah. I feel it. Well, that's dope, man. Congratulations on the car and, um, and being in Baltimore. I Thank think what you. you're doing is amazing. Thanks, man. Um, as you know, we, we've had tons of discussions about our career and trajectory and what we want to do in life, purpose, all of that. Accountability talks. And the reason why I wanted to bring you onto the podcast is because I think you have such a powerful testimony to navigating and figuring mm. things out, even if it feels like a work in progress. Um, for those that don't know, Sukari and I, as I've mentioned, go back 10 years and we first met through the National Society of Black Engineers, where I was in, involved with my local chapter, which was the Rutgers University chapter. Mm -hmm. And Sukari was always very active in the organization on... I think for did you start with zone or did you, did you well, go I started into in high school so I started very right. early so even deeper, of, before I even knew you you yeah. were in the Nesby thing yeah but in terms of leadership um I guess I guess technically I started at the zone level but when I was in high school I was doing some regional stuff like volunteering mm. so I mean it it all just is the same thing yeah so the roots go deep yeah for sure yeah and uh I met you I think at that zone level and then, you know, I'm thinking like the zone conference that we linked up at. I actually think you gave me a Nesby pin that day. Wasn't I your chair? Uh, well, you, you were chapter yeah, president. Yeah, you, you definitely were the, my chair, but I think you were you were the region one chair when I was a president. And that's when I gave you the pin. I thought I you gave me the pin conference. the year before when Kareem was president. I remember Kareem was still there. I'm out here dropping names. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> my bad, homie. <laughs> But yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> just dropping people. Yeah, right. In, in any case, though, um, 
I have always been inspired by your leadership capabilities and the way you handle things from what I remember when I was a president. And I always felt that you supported the chapter and the organization very well. And, you know, just always held it to the greatest standard. So, you know, and I've seen that multiply over the years and anything that you pick up and do, I've always seen it be extremely effective. And I think that the transparency that you have and vulnerability to the process and uh, trusting that and being open about your your navigating and such is really effective. I think that it inspires people, and I'm hoping that um you know we can have a conversation that's similar to, you know what it, what it's like when we normally just talking about say. life and such, right? So <laughs> yeah. Um, in order to do that, I want to help do some context setting, okay. and such. So with 99 Celsius, I like to go back to the zero degree Celsius point which is what I consider to be before you even realize that you're taking the journey. It's like the prelude. And, uh, you know, you talk about being an SB junior mm-hmm. in high school and middle school. Yeah. But I even wonder before that became a thing, were there glimpses of leadership or um, other things that got you kind of active in that regard before you even got to a point where you're like, you know, you want to be in a STEM program or in a leadership program. What kind of things was, was young Sikari into? Yo, this is crazy. Thank you. Going all the way back. Uh, young Sikari was into, I'm going to, the first thing that came to my mind was when I was younger, I wanted to play in the WNBA. Oh, so I, I did not know that. Yeah. So I, my big brother, um, is a huge basketball phenom. I mean, his skill level is great. Uh, and so growing up, I would go to his basketball games. I, it just, And then I just wanted to do everything my brother did. And I didn't know that then, but that's what was happening. And so I really saw myself as playing in WNBA. So I went to the WNBA summer camps. I went to random basketball camps. <laughs> like um, in elementary school, during gym, I always played basketball. Like mm-hmm. I was a tomboy. Like... That was my life. That's what I saw. I didn't get into like STEM and stuff until uh, I was starting to apply to high school. Okay. So I guess what's that? Uh, seventh, eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade. Yeah. Yeah. But before that, like you can tell me I wasn't going to go in WNBA. I wasn't even good, but <laughs> <laughs> I was I'm good on defense, but yeah. offense, like you can't really use me. Uh, oh, the Lord man. didn't give me that. Uh, he ain't blessing with them skill sets. <laughs> But you couldn't, you didn't tell me I was about to go play for somebody's team. And so that was, that was Sakari. That was young Sakari. That's what she was into. That and music. Mm. But I didn't, I didn't want to be an artist in terms, in the sense of like making my own music. I just loved uh, listening to music Mm. and I loved visual, visualizing like how I would make a music video to that song. Wow. And so those were the things I loved to do. Um, and actually, now that I say it out loud, there's one more thing, too. I thought I was going to be, that was going to be a lot of things. I started to get into Egypt um, and studying the history of Egypt mm. and the culture of Egypt. And so at one point, I wanted to be an Egyptologist. Wow. My father used to take me to uh, museums. We used to have daddy-daughter dates. And that were, some were planned, I'm sure, but some were probably impromptu. And he used to go and teach me about our history just as people black people Mm -hmm. um and that always started with understanding the different cultures and countries in africa 
and what that meant and, you know, how everything was different is not the same. You know, don't listen to what they're telling you at school, wow. basically. Wow. <laughs> and I fell in love with like, I just fell in love with, there was something about Egypt that just struck me as a little girl. And um, so when I wasn't playing basketball, I was playing with like the mummy kit I got from the museum mm. or watching a National Geographic documentary on Egypt or, um, and, and if I wasn't doing that, then I was recording my own radio show um, with my little mic thing oh, about yeah? music. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Like I had this little, um, I'm saying all this stuff now. Like this, I don't, I didn't realize I remember this. Yeah. I had this, I don't know what you call it, but like it's back when we had like the cassette tapes and like in order to record, you had to press the record. It was crazy. But I remember I remember, oh, Kanye, Kanye West is through the wire. That mm. was my joint back then. And I remember, like, it came on the radio and I was trying to catch it. And my thing had a mic at the same time. So I was like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Kari Brown here. This is the, you got to hear the latest exclusive Kanye West. <laughs> Yo, I don't know what life I thought I was going to be living. But, yeah, that, that was young Sakari, yo. That was young wow. Sakari. There's so much to dive into there. I, so, I know. Man, I, I'm going to try to remember to dissect each of these. So uh, the first thing you mentioned was sports. Yeah. And to be in w, the WNBA. Yeah. Um, is there anything in particular that you feel like you really took from your journey in sports? Like, I know there's a, a large leadership capacity that's involved there. And even de- defense, right? You talked about being a defensive star. And, and I don't know about a star. <laughs> you a give me a lot. defensive <laughs> asset to the team. <laughs> And even, you know, defense is, is really the, it's the foundation of teamwork, right? Like that's yeah. really in basketball. That's a really, like, you have to have your rotations, right? You have to have your help side, right? Yeah. You know, you have to be able to, you know, to identify the shooter and, and put them in positions where the shooter can't get it. Right. So like, there's all of these aspects that I would assume that you may have gotten from it, but I, I was wondering what stuck out to you in your journey with sports that you think you ended up taking with you? Well, I mean, I, th- I think generally what I appreciate about sports is that it teaches teaches young people in particular how to how to be a good team, mate. Mm-hmm. like how to be a part of a team. Because the reality is that you, you give other people control in games like basketball, in certain events in track and field, right? Like it's out of your control, so you have to learn how to be okay with that. I think for me... Um, it, with basketball in particular, I learned that I could still be valuable even if I wasn't the best person on the team. Mm. That was probably the lesson I got from that outside of like just teamwork. Um, when I got to high school, I actually transitioned to track and field. And that the lesson I learned from that is that pain is really just temporary. Wow. It really is. And mental toughness is a real thing. And if you can build up your mental toughness, you can get through a lot of stuff that you don't think you can get through. And so... When 100%. I think about like my my journey in a- athletics, those are the two things that stick out for me. Wow, yeah, that's powerful. I guess so, man. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it. I I'm a. I agree. I was an athlete as well, and I think that there was so much that came from my sports journey mm-hmm. that it's small things, you know, camaraderie and what it's like to be on a team and yeah. bo- team bonding. All these things that yeah. come from sports that you may not even realize that that was the foundation. Right. But they end up really being impactful on your journey and such. Okay, so you mentioned the sports piece, and then um, the second one was 
It wasn't Egypt. The second one was like the music. The music. The music. Part. Okay. Yeah. Which you're still an avid music music I listener am. today. I am. Right. I'm a big R and B person. Okay. Mainly. And so is there is there anything that sticks out to you as far as how music may have set the tone for you and who you are today? Music gave me an old soul because my father, uh, he he used to be a DJ in college, like the the what is it, like the FAMU radio guy. And so, you know, he, like, when we, I would ride around in the car, he'd be playing songs from present day. You know, if it was the 90s, I'd be listening to 90s stuff. But he play, played a lot of stuff from the 70s, a lot of stuff from 60s. You know, so I got, like, an interesting mix of music. And then my mother um, played a lot of, like, 90s hits, 90s R&B. Mm. Um, when I think about those times we're driving in the car, it's like I hear, I hear Drew Hill playing. You know what I mean? Like, and now that I think about it, I'm like, dang, what she was going through, my Like, what she <laughs> <laughs> what, you, what, what was going on like um but yeah so I feel like that's what music gave me this old soul this uh, this ability to appreciate what came before I even existed mm. and that translates to so much of my life beyond music um and my ability and the ability to like be open to other things because I think you know just being my dad too I I started to appreciate things like jazz, even though I don't really understand it. Yeah. I could respect it and I want to understand it. I wanted to learn it. Um, gospel music. I mean, I'm a Christian, but gospel music, it just hits a little differently mm. sometimes. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and it's still a part of our music and our culture and the ability to see the different additions from other genres of music that we basically created too. Uh, you know, combined into that genre was always cool to me. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm almost going to make an assertion Do you just based you? off what I've heard. So I almost feel like two things that may have come from there were emotional intelligence mm, and being able deep. to really connect with the emotion that comes from music and appreciating what someone else's art is able to communicate and convey. Yeah. And I almost feel like just me knowing you as a person, that some of that bleeds through to your interactions with people and like, Really connecting on a soulful level. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I think it also made me a sap because all the love songs. Hey, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> I always think too. I think uh, rather have more emotion than no emotion. Yeah, that's so, a fact. That's a fact. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then the second piece that I got um, from what you were saying was the ability to connect culturally. Yeah. Um, even with people that may not come from the same background as you, which yeah. is something, again, I think I, I see a lot in leadership and such. Would you say that that's the case? Yeah, for sure. I think so because I feel like, and, and I grew up in Brooklyn, right? So like I'm, I'm privileged yeah. in that sense because yeah. that's a, that's a melting pot like of everything. You know, I got, I got to meet, it took me a little bit, of, it took me a while in, in terms of my environment, but eventually I got to like interact with people from all over the world. Yeah, and, and as a as a teenager mainly, and that really opened my eyes up. But I think the foundation that was set from the earlier years of the music exposure of the you know whatever made that transition easy for me, mm. easier for me than some mm -hmm. of my other you know I guess uh, friends or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I get so jealous about the the Brooklyn thing. <laughs> I feel like everyone I know from Brooklyn is just super well rounded and has really good perspective. Yeah. And a hustler as well. 
Which is yeah, like, I mean, I ain't gonna hold you. Brooklyn's the best place, you know what I'm saying, on earth. <laughs> what can I say? You know, my guy. Nah. Um, <laughs> but no, I mean, it's it's true. I, I think, you know, we don't always recognize it. Um, you know, people from Brooklyn are, are very confident and very proud of where we're from. And yeah. a part of that, especially when you're black, a part of that comes from, um, I think, comes from Biggie, too. Like, that whole culture of being, mm-hmm. it, it had... Like, I was young when Biggie died, but, like, you can't tell me Biggie wasn't the great. You know, like, you yeah. just can't. And he taught me pride into in terms of where we were from. Because back then, nobody was rocking with Brooklyn like that. Like, people looked at Brooklyn and scoffed now. Oh, yeah? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, because Brooklyn, Brooklyn was rough, man. Yeah. Like, the places, some of the places these people be at now, I'll be like, man, listen. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about the crack houses, right. right? You know what I'm saying? And, you know, so it was, it was a different time. And so you had to, you had artists like Biggie, you had people like Lil' Kim, you know what I mean? Like, you had people who made you feel like, yeah, I'm from this place that other people don't love, but there's things about this place that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And one day y'all gonna see. Who would have known that now would be the day that they've realized? Um, but I say all that to say, like, it's because of the fact that we have all these cultures and all these people and all the, you know, this diff- these differences in this tight, in these tight quarters um, that, I think a lot of people are able to be that open or well-rounded, but don't get it twisted. There are pockets of people where they aren't, you know, it's mm-hmm. just like anywhere else. Yeah. Um, but I'm definitely fortunate for that experience. Cause you know, to your point, it, it, it definitely makes a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that, so did your father grow up in Brooklyn? Yeah. Or, my dad grew up. Okay. Yeah. So I know you talked about Egypt as well. Do you think that there were connections behind or between being in Brooklyn, a place that tends to really be rich culturally and almost woke in a sense, mm-hmm. do you do you think there any there was any association between the culture of Brooklyn and acquiring information and having some of that pride, and the quest for more knowledge with Egypt and bringing you to museums and things of that sort? I don't know. I think that my dad is a man who is a very proud black man. Mm. Like he, you know, ain't no, you know, ain't no debating if my daddy's black. He's black. And not just because <laughs> he's chocolate, but because like, you know, he like the things that he's about are blackness. Okay. You understand? So growing up, I never that was always like from the beginning. And then you combine that with my brother who is also super black, mm. um, is, a, is a super black, amazing black man. Like, he, all that energy <laughs> being supported and poured into me and loved on me, like, there was no way I was going to, you know, not kind of have a appreciation and, and interest in learning more about my history. I think where it did come from was, you know, my family, it, I don't know where we came from. Like, okay, yes, we're at, we came from a country in Africa, mm-hmm. but I don't have the privilege to know what country. I don't know. I don't really know the full story of us. And so growing up as a little girl, I think that, you know, a part of it was probably like trying to find or trying to just understand something, a place in in Africa that I could maybe, I don't know if I was connected to, but maybe if I just learned this one country, it'll help me understand the rest of the countries. Because wow. back then, like, I didn't I didn't have friends or I didn't know anyone from, like, Nigeria or Ghana mm-hmm. or anything. Like, you know, I mean, I just didn't. Yeah. And so to me, all we learned about were, we didn't learn about Egypt, we learned about South Africa. But we didn't learn about design. nobody. We learned about nobody else, yeah. you know? And so I didn't have the ability to connect with um, 
you know, friends from the other countries in Africa to even know that maybe I should research those, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I think, I think generally it was always this interest just because of how I was raised. Yeah. 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 And I mean, what a, what a blessing to be able to study that civilization. There yeah. were so many advances in math and science. And I mean, without even noticing there had to have been some kind of connection to STEM there. Mm. Um, you know, all of, all of the things that you had, all of the information you had acquired through those trips to museums and such. Yeah. I'm sure there may be some type of connection there. I mean, it's, there's a, it's a science, right? All yeah. of that stuff is, is falls into the realm of science. Um, research, right? Like social science research, that's a thing. Um, you know, we have people who have to go out and like understand dirt to understand how to dig up these things mm. or understand how they're preserved. So I think you're right. It, it probably did spark something in me, even though I, even if I didn't realize it in those moments. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you have this background in, you know, these three distinct areas with music, with STEM and Egyptian civilization and with sports. Yeah. With those three areas a young Sukari was starting to brew and begin to identify who she was or who she wanted to be. Yeah. I'm wondering what that first acknowledgement of that was for you, where you realized, where you began to really come into your own and having an identity and what you would describe that to be. I think it was forced. Okay. I say that because I think back to seventh and eighth grade and because those were the time that was the time where I had to start making decisions about my future. Mm. And, you know, in in New York City, we have this uh, specialized science high school exam um, for these special STEM schools or whatever uh, that you have to test into. And so, well, actually, yeah, like sixth grade is when you start thinking about it because you got to prepare. Right. And I went to a a small Catholic school. I didn't have, we didn't have those special resources that certain public schools had to do like extra classes and stuff. I had to use old books, old prep books um, to prepare for those things. Um, And like, I think that was the time periods I was, I would take it to sixth grade from sixth to eighth grade where I started to have to make decisions about what I wanted my future to look like. And I don't know that I think I just defaulted to what would make sense in terms of like stability. Right. So I think I defaulted into STEM because I knew that I needed to get into a good school and a good school would be one of the schools you had to test into. I knew that I needed to figure out my career trajectory because the school that I wanted to go to, um, you had majors. So I need to figure out in at like as a freshman, what was I, you know, what did I want to major in? Mm-hmm. And so I had to think about those things. And I thought to myself, well, I don't want to be a lawyer because I don't like reading and writing like that. I like to read, but not like write all that stuff. Yeah. And I didn't want to be a, um, well, no, that was it. It was a lawyer or a doctor. And to me, I was like, all right, I'll be a doctor. I'm pretty good at science. And that was, that was it. Is that what it started as? Yeah. I didn't know that. I was going to be a, um, so I was either going to be a cardiothoracic surgeon or I was going to be a medical examiner. Wow. Uh, I wanted to be a, what does he call it? A, a pathologist or whatever. But I wanted to, I wanted to find out why people died. 
It sounds really crazy, but that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. So it was one of those two things. And that's what sent me on the tra- trajectory to STEM. Um, and what's crazy about all of that is I got into the school I wanted to get into. I got into Brooklyn Tech mm. and I got nervous and I, I d- declined to go. Oh. And I took the letter, like you had to fill out this paper. And I took it to my principal because the principal had to sign it. And my principal was like, you crazy? Let me call your mother right now. You, you're you not going. Because I, I was a Catholic school girl. So I was like, I don't have clothes for this for public school. What if public school kids are mean? I just, I'll just go to Catholic school because I know it. And he was like, no, you're, you're going to go here. I'm going to call your mother. I'm a white. I'm going to use white out. He used white out and wow. white out my no and change it to a yes. Called my mother and sent it. Shout I was stressed. To, to that, man. That's, that's, well, I don't know. Should it be a shout out to that, man? Yeah, yo, okay. shout out to Mr. Cyrus. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my eighth grade teacher. Wow. Yeah, man. I mean, to be honest with you, not a, you know, that was, that was a moment that was forced mm-hmm. that changed the trajectory of my life because the school I wanted to go to is, it no longer exists. Oh. It's, it's, wow. It, it got shut down. Right. And not to say I wouldn't be able to get an education and whatever, but like now there's no, going back to that place yeah. or you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That's crazy. So you knew that STEM was the way to go. How did you identify that? Like you talked about that being a source of stability, but at sixth, seventh, eighth grade, how did you identify that? So I, I looked around and I'm like, okay, well, let me take a step back. I, I'm privileged in that I grew up having, I grew up in two ways in Brooklyn. I grew up in the projects and I grew up in a house, like a brownstone, like the Cosby's. Mm. So a lot of people can't say that. A lot of people don't know what it's like to not have heat or hot water. I know. A lot of people don't know what it's like to live in a brownstone that has three floors. I know that too. And so um, seeing both sides or having that perspective, I was like, well, what can I do so that I ain't got to worry about this type of stuff? Like, I don't have to worry about having to use the oven to heat up the, heat up the apartment. I don't have to worry about... Wow you know, the housing authority cutting off the water. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to worry about that. Or what can I do so that, you know, my family also has a nice house to live in. And I knew I wasn't that good in basketball. So, you know, <laughs> although I had high hopes, I yeah, had to get real. At that point. Yeah, I knew I wasn't, I wasn't good at that. And I, I wasn't a rapper. Um, and I wasn't, I didn't consider, like, I wasn't this girly girl who was like going to use her looks to get ahead. Mm. And so to me, what I tell people is like, I looked at STEM as my ticket. Like mm. how people look at basketball as your ticket out. I looked at STEM as my ticket. Because to me, I'm like, well, all the doctors and lawyers, they make money. They're pretty good. Wow. So that's how I came to the decision. Yeah. Once again, because only because I had to choose what high school I wanted to go to. Only because I decided to say no. And my prince, I mean, my eighth grade teacher was like, no, this is a yes. Those were forced decisions. But like, it, they were, I'm better for it either way. Right. Yeah. So that it was just kind of like what's the most stable stable thing stable ticket out of like um having to worry about something that's that's incredible i actually a lot of this is new to me <laughs> and and I know. I'm, here, I'm like wow this is it, it's so much deeper than than the surface yeah so how do you end up transitioning from medicine to engineering so or was there something in between there yeah, nah. I, I, so at my, I got into this program in the high school I got into at Brooklyn Tech. Well, Brooklyn Tech is the high school I went to. There was a program called Gateway to Medicine. The whole purpose of it was to 
get black and brown uh, kids into medicine to build this pipeline of doctors and um, you know researchers in the field of medicine. And so I got into that program. It was a four and a well four year program which is different from the other majors at the school. Usually you only choose your major in the last two years. So that means I had a major for four years. Mm. So what that also meant is that I was taking classes like anatomy, physiology, organic chemistry, AP chemistry in high school, genetics in high school, social social science research in high school, all these medical classes. I was going to Mount Sinai for a program on surgery as a kid. So I had exposure very early to figure out if this is what I wanted to do. And Sakari said, hell no. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, nah. I took organic chemistry. I was like, bro, get me out of here. Take me out, Lord. It wasn't for me. And I actually had a breakdown in high school. And yeah, it was really bad. But I was like, I can't I can't do this. I don't I don't want to spend my life in school. And, um, I want to be able to like, you know, I want to be able to still do something with, with the time I have no shade to the doctors out there. Cause I appreciate, appreciate hey. you, you know, make sure I'm healthy, yeah. but I just ain't want to be in school for that long. Yeah. <laughs> Doing something that after I've been exposed to, it, I've realized I don't really love it as much as I did. It was only because I knew it would keep me out of like worrying about money. Wow. So it was probably my junior No, it was no, it was my senior year of high school after I already applied to college that I realized I was going to do engineering and not medicine. Oh wow! Okay, so now that's interesting to me because with the medicine, it was identifying that the decision to do to pursue that field was based off of opportunity. Yeah, and the fact that it's a lucrative career. Mm Hmm. You end up choosing engineering. Was that was there a similar foundation behind that? Like was the was the intention still to find it was to find something yeah. that would provide stability still? It was okay. stability, but just less years in school. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and I didn't and, and this it might sound crazy to some people listening, but back then I had no idea what an engineer was. I didn't know what an engineer was. So you picked it knowing that it'd be Potentially lucrative, good career, but you didn't actually know what it was. I knew because a little bit because I was in Nesby, National Society of Black Engineers, in the junior chapter. So I joined Nesby in my freshman year of high school because I was looking for black people. And I saw black and I saw free pizza. And I was like, all right, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. And um, because you also have to understand, I just for context for the audience, my high school at the time was like 4,000 kids. I think now it's like 5,200 kids. And black people at the time, I felt like at the time we made up maybe 10% of that population. So it was like, you know, I was trying to look for my people. Yeah. And so through Nesby, I understood a little bit, but because I was on this, like, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a doctor. I didn't really pay attention to it okay. as much as I think I should have until like my senior year. Yeah. And then once I was looking for other options, I was like, well, there is this Nesby thing. Um, but even then, I didn't think I was qualified to do it because I struggled in math. I took math. I struggled. Um, did I take calculus? I took pre-calc. And I struggled um, in it. And I was like, well, maybe I can't do this. Maybe this is not really it. Maybe I should just count my losses and I'll be an environmental science scientist or something. And, um, and this yeah. is before even even starting engineering. This is like 
you're you're going through these doubts in your mind. This was yeah, senior year. Yeah. Applying applying to applying to college. Uh I applied to college. Most of my schools I applied like as an environmental science major, I believe, or biology major. Because at the time when I was applying, I thought I was gonna be a doctor. One school I applied engineering as an engineer. Uh and that was the school I ended up going to. And so, um, but before that, even through all of that, it was just so many doubts. I was like, I don't really know. Um, I'm not good at math, so maybe I should just cut my losses. But it's dumb because you got to be good at math to be a doctor, too. So I don't know what I thought. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's definitely not the same it's level of math. It's not the same math, right? Yeah. It's not the same math. But I don't know, I guess, because there's so much, it's a little bit more heavier on the science side of mm-hmm. it. I was like, yeah, I can handle that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> So yeah, man, it, it, it just, I would say it was a whirlwind, you know, the last few months of my senior year when it came down to deciding where I was going to go to school because I had all the places I got into were in like environmental science and I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to be a doctor. But the one school I got into that I got the most money for that I got, like I, literally my first year I paid $215 to go to school. Wow. That was a school I applied to be an engineer at. So I became an engineer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a blessing. It is. Yeah. You know, it is. I mean, I got debt, student debt, but like, you know, that right. first year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For that year. For that first year, it was <laughs> yeah, a blessing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ooh, so yeah. <laughs> you. So <clears throat> do those doubts continue? You know, uh, now you're at your, your university, you're now studying engineering. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling mentally about things that first semester, first two semesters? First semester, I felt great. Okay. I, had, I, had, I don't. I don't remember having any doubt. Having any doubts my first semester. Um, second semester, I, I think that's that might have been where it started to get a little shaky, because uh, I struggled through. Was it calculus? I think it was calculus. I had to retake it, but I retook it and I killed it. Um, but you know, that's when it got a little shaky. Probably second semester. And then by the time I got to be a sophomore, uh, maybe second year of soft, second semester sophomore year, that's when I realized like, oh, this is about to be, this mm. about to be a, this about to be a, a journey. Yeah. Um. And so that's where I felt like the wave of doubt hit me is probably sometime in sophomore year. Yeah. So you evaded that freshman year weed out. situation where like the first year it sounded like you you were fairly confident about the you know about the curriculum and such but sophomore year you end up getting hit by and I know that I mean there's some of the what is like physics two around that time maybe yeah physics um I think that's also at least with my program where you really start to dive into like the civil engineering Oh, you already started major class. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. true. Actually, major class to do start particularly second semester, I think. Okay, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah, that's when it really starting to hit. There's statics. I, I'm sure you had to do. I actually did really well in statics. Okay. But everything else. <laughs> woo! Hey, hey. <laughs> woo, Yeah. Ooh, the rest of it was a nightmare. Um, but yeah, no, that I, that's completely accurate to the point of like, I didn't have a, I didn't have that weed out issue like chemistry I mean you know it was cool whatever it might have been a little but I was still even through it I still had a sense of like nah I'm here Mm. like we about to do this but it just changed sophomore year and what was it about that experience that it changed I struggled through the classes and 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 
when you come into when you come into a, a situation where you already even if you push past the doubt um or you think you did and you came out like for me I came out of the high school situation knowing I was doubting myself about about engineering because of my math right so then I get to sophomore year and I'm like see this is why I didn't want to do this because I, this is I knew even though that was two years ago it's like mm. I knew it I knew it I knew it so then you start to like at that time I didn't have the tools or the faith I wasn't I wasn't uh, mature in my faith to like be able to teach myself in that moment to how to undo that talk right that negative thinking and so I just fed into it I was like man see this what I'm talking about I'm never gonna get this this is hard um I don't know how I'm gonna figure this out and so it just became there were moments of a lot of like failed tests failed classes or low grades in classes um and back then like all you know or all you're taught particularly engineering school is like your GPA is gonna determine the rest of your life I didn't have any perspective to see that that's not true at that age. Yeah. So for me, I was, t- I tied my identity and who I could be to a number that here I am six years later. I was like, that, that don't matter. Right. You know, but then I, I couldn't see that. I actually remember seeing some kind of written piece that you had done. I don't remember exactly oh, it was what it Yeti, was. Yeti, Yeti's blog. Yeah. Shout out to Yeti. Yeti says, follow her on IG. She's <laughs> there you go with the your, plug. Your neighborhood hope dealer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so I remember that written piece where you talk specifically about being more than your GPA. Yeah. And um, I'm assuming that there was a defining moment for you where you began to realize that your identity wasn't all in this number that everyone placed a lot of value on. So it sounds like, I mean, generally speaking, there was a lot of of self-doubt and such from your second year through some point in college. And then maybe there's a light bulb moment that that occurs at some point. Can you talk us through what that experience was where you really began to realize that your identity wasn't just based in that one thing? Mm. I realized it at the... Was it the end of sophomore year? Hmm. So I, I, I don't remember the exact time, but I, it, it was probably after sophomore year. Um, I realized that when I was able to get internships and nobody understood why, mm. but I knew why yeah. because I was dope. And when I say that, I don't say that to be like braggadocious, but I say that to say like, I, that was the first time I realized the power of social capital mm. and like, being a technical person who knew how to connect with somebody um, because I had no other choice because my numbers were low. Right. So I had no other choice but to refine the other skills and the other areas God allowed me to, you know, be a part of who I am. So that, that, that was the moment where I think the first time I landed my internship, my summer internship at an engineering firm down here in D.C. actually, um, no, actually that was my second job. See, look crazy. The first internship was at a big company in New York and nobody could explain it. They didn't understand it. People with higher GPAs than me weren't getting the internship, mm. but here's my little chocolate self. Hey y'all, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that was the first time that, although I don't want to make it seem like that's when I start, I stopped doubting myself because that's not true. That's just when I realized like, oh, I have another way to do this. Yeah. I have another way to still be successful, even though these people telling me like that GPA is really, ain't going to get me nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. So it, 
I want to, I, I wish, I want to say that you get that lesson, you get the internship and you know from now on that anything is possible yeah. as long as you believe in yourself and self-doubt is nothing but poisonous mm. and you go on doing everything else that you want to achieve with, with no doubt. Yeah. We all wish that was the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if only. Right. As as you graduate and you start your professional career yeah, um, and you start to establish yourself as someone outside of corporate America as well, for both of those perspectives, both your experience in corporate after graduating and some of the things that you were trying to do from an extracurricular sense outside of work, what was the experience like battling some of those self-doubt demons and what kind of things were you going through after graduating? What was I going through? After gra- so after graduating, I moved to Maryland with my best friend, Christine. Shout out to her. And I'm trying to think. I, I feel like that was a time where, you know, I was feeling myself a little bit because, you know, I was like, all right, got my own apartment, got an own job. You know what I mean? Like I'm a black engineer out here building stuff. So I was feeling cool. I don't remember that first year being particularly trying with the exception of like heartbreak from a relationship. But beyond that, I I think it was my year of just getting feeling like feeling what it's like to be like starting out in my adulthood and um, exploring a new city that I was living in. And I think and not I think towards the end of that year is when I felt convicted is such a strong word but I felt a little convicted to like focus on my faith because for the last for the previous I guess three years I hadn't really been I hadn't really been I hadn't really been in my faith like that so I I remember like towards the end of that first year being out of school making that a priority of like fitness food and faith like the kind of food I was eating and stuff um so I started like looking for churches and getting back in that groove but that's what I remember from that first year. I don't remember, or that, I guess, right after graduation. I don't remember much else in terms of, like, particular points. Um, well, sorry, sorry. Sakari just lit up with a, with a moment <laughs> that definitely just flashed. Because I just tried to play myself and be mad phony. Like, I didn't go through a whole... So, after graduating is mm. when I realized I could not be an engineer. Mm. That's that's a big thing to just almost forget to share. Yeah, I immediately knew when I got to my job that this was not it. This was not going to be my future because it was not big enough for me. It was not. It didn't have what I needed it to have. Mm. And I am not going to hold you. Um, probably like my third month, I started looking for new jobs. Wow. And yeah, because I I could not do it. I couldn't do it. And so I remember now like I spent all that time um you know doing my job and you know whatever showing up but when there was nothing to do at work I was on LinkedIn I was on Indeed I was on Nesby's job board looking up new jobs to do because this wasn't it and um over that time it took a while I feel like it took about a year before an opportunity came that fit what I was looking for I learned a lot about what I didn't want in a new job and that was probably a pretty interesting moment in my growth as an adult 
because I felt like I was able to articulate the things. I was able to articulate what I wanted in the next step of my career, even though it was really early. Yeah. And a lot of people, even now, can't do that. And so, um, you know, I got into a mode where, you know, I was applying for jobs, it felt like every day. Um, and I got to a point where I had to reassess the strategy I was using because I wasn't getting the right results. And so what I ended up doing is uh, going on LinkedIn and like cold messaging people, my mm. resume and cold messaging people to say, hey, can you spend 15 minutes with me just to look at my my resume or tell me about your company? And I only targeted the companies I wanted to work at. Right. So not everybody responded, but the people that did respond gave me some great advice mm. and helped me so much. People that don't know me, didn't know me from nowhere. Um, and that's what got me to that point in the year where I ended up getting an interview and making the pivot I needed to make into the new part of my career. So I guess the first year out of school was a lot more interesting than I started to make it seem. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it never happened. Like, no, no, sis. You but there's <laughs> even, there's some areas that I'm curious to dive into. Yeah. So... You said it took about a year to to leave. To leave, yeah. You were applying for quite some time, and you weren't getting the results that you were looking for. Yeah. What was the mental space like for you during that time? I was like, "Oh, it's my GPA." Oh, okay. Because I, you have to think about it too. Like, I was a new grad at a job, that, and I had only been at that job for so long, and I'm applying mm -hmm. for a new job. And so at that time, they're looking at your GPA. Yeah. They want to know what's your GPA. If, and, you know, certain companies, you know, they be like, oh, I'm sorry. You don't, you don't cut it. You don't meet the cut. Everything else about you is great, but that number doesn't work. You know, a lot of big companies, a lot of companies that I've, like, it didn't matter. It, nothing mattered but the number to them. So then we go back to that moment again. See what I was saying? See see what they said they this is what the people back in school said mm. gpa da 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 so that was my head that was where my headspace was getting to um until i started getting responses from people who were willing to help me but did that just happen automatically or was this something you felt that you had to shift in between when you were you were starting to doubt yourself and when you started to have successes with people through messaging them i i tried to i don't i don't know i, I mean I, I feel like i tried to remain hopeful but I'd be lying if I said, like, that voice about the GPA thing didn't stay in my head. Because um, it did. I mean, it's, st it's still in my head, to be quite honest with you. And I'm yeah. six years out. So um, I, don't, I don't know. It's something I've gotten better at managing and not letting get to me. Because now I have evidence. I have six years of evidence to prove to myself. Sometimes you got to prove stuff to yourself. Yeah. Um, to show that, you know. It, it can be okay. But then I didn't have any evidence. I didn't have, for myself, I didn't have any evidence that it would be okay, that I'd be able to get out of this place that I don't like or do the next thing in my career that I want to do. What was it that made you feel you didn't have evidence? Because all I had was, all I had was uh, the four, the years in school. I didn't have any work, like I didn't have anything else in my head at the time, I didn't have anything else that proved to me that my GPA wouldn't hold me back. Even though I got these internships, even like, you know? Yeah. But now I didn't have, like, for for whatever reason at that time, I didn't feel like I had enough to show myself that I could still make it happen. Self-doubt is such a, a powerful crazy. thing. Right? It's crazy. Yeah. And even, you know, 
I was actually at a sermon earlier today, and it was something was said along the effect of even when we have evidence to counteract or Mm -hmm. negate the negative feelings that we're experiencing, we still tend to overlook the evidence that we have. Yeah. To validate that we're actually, we're good and that we're we're able and and ready for whatever opportunity, we tend to ignore that. Oh, you know, I had some successes in X, Y, and Z. Right. And dive in, continue to, to delve into the thought of not being good enough, et cetera. Yeah. It's crazy. It's a, it's such a pers- persistent, um, I don't want to say evil, because it is. It, it really just creeps up into times and moments where you f- you might feel like, oh, I've been good. Like, I'm good. You know, I'm feeling myself. And then something happens and next thing you know, boom, you back in that pit that you was like, wait, I just got out of this. Um, but I think that gets to my point earlier of like, I feel like now, yes, I still have some of those moments, but I'm, it takes me less time to get out of them. Mm. And I think for me, that to me is success right now. Yeah. Like I may not, I can't say that I don't have them, but I can tell you that it, it doesn't, I don't stay in them as long as I did before. Oh. And that, that, that's a big deal. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're now at this new part of your career, which is consulting now. Mm-hmm. At that point, yeah. Okay, so consulting at that point, and um, over the course of the next several years, you're you're navigating that space as well. Yeah. And um, there's a few things that I'm aware of okay. that were significant players for you during this time period, um, and I want to make sure that we touch on them. So I just want to bring them up, but then I also want to open it up to you to see if there's anything else that you identify with during this period of time that really was pivotal for you. Okay. Um, but I want to make sure we start we touch on Starter Block. Okay, yeah. That was towards the end of the consulting career. Okay. Yeah. Um, I know I want to touch on another thing at the end, which was um, uh, the 30 under 30. Or, the huh? The Nesby 30 under 30. Or the Forbes 30 and the 30 Well, yeah, I knew about both, but I was thinking about Forbes. Okay. But was Nesby as well under the consulting time period? Yeah. Okay. So we should talk about that as well. Um, And then uh, I want to talk about Certainly Qualified. Yikes. So (laughs) we'll talk about that as well. But were were there other other periods of time, other things during this period of time that stick out to you? I mean, yes. So during that that time, there was a period, there was one moment that sticks out to me. And it was, I was on a panel in Brooklyn and I, it was a rough week. And I said, I was like, yeah, yesterday, I said, what did I say? I was like, yesterday I, and I had a relationship of almost, I guess, four years that ended and my grandfather died and I got a promotion all in the same three-day span. Sheesh. And I was, everybody in the crowd had the same reaction you had. Wow. And they were like, you're on this panel right now? <laughs> you might need therapy. <laughs> and I was like, I do, but I ain't got it right now. I ain't figured it out. I, you know. um, that was a big moment for me because I was like, dang, I'm dealing with a lot. Yeah. And I think that was one of my first moments of 
true like self-awareness and being able to be honest with myself yeah um and i felt like since that point it's been easier to be honest with myself mm. and um so I, I don't know i think that's what stood out to me and that also have which also happened during those four years so how much how much of an impact that self-care awareness and uh i know you're an advocate of therapy as well how much of those things did you find really playing a role in your life during those times can you talk about how maybe you got involved with things that that uh, enhanced you or enlightened you during those times so during the whole four years right yeah yeah so um I think, you know, after my first year being, so after I transitioned from construction into consulting, you know, I, I felt like I was learning how to get in tune with myself. Um, be, just because of the company I was at, they, that was really big, be your authentic self. And, and, you know, to their credit, they really did a lot around that to help people understand who they were and to f- start to feel like you could release some of the layers that you had and it wasn't perfect but it it got it you know it got it together um and got the ball rolling at least with me and so uh I think the trainings and things that I did um really helped with the self-awareness part I think that's when I started to understand the things that I wanted to get involved in outside of work and um that's when I, I started to get involved with like church and volunteering just with within Montgomery County and um, joining different local organizations that supported black women and girls. Like that's when I really started to like lean into that stuff and um, build a network within DC. That's pretty dope, I think. Um, And uh, so I I think that generally over the course of the four years started to become my thing, probably like that second year being at the company, it really, it really started to blossom. And the interesting thing about consulting is like when you're not, well, at that time, when you're not working on a client, um, you're on this thing called the bench, some people yeah. call it the beach. And that gives you a lot of time to think because you're, you're thinking, you're questioning life. Mm-hmm. You're like, are they about to fire me? Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I know I'm still getting paid, but, and those moments were really helpful too for me to like understand myself and what I wanted and what I want to do next, which is how I ended up with the whole certainly qualified vibe. Mm. So yeah, that was the four years. And then also I had to go to therapy in, in high school and for the first two years of college, three years of college. So even though I wasn't in therapy at the time, there were things that I learned from therapy that I still was, I, I was still using um, to kind of make my transitions, whether it was career or relationship or like the death of a family member, make it a little bit easier um, in terms of managing that. So. so do you see that now as a part of your identity as just a professional? I know that like, as I, I feel like now when we, when we take a look at people's identity and brand in their life outside of work or establishing, establishing themselves as subject matter experts, I think more and more now we're starting to see people weave in the ideal, the ideals of self-care, mm. the ideals of transparency, yeah. um, weaving that into who they are as people. Yeah. Do you find that, um, you know, that this is a part of your identity now as a professional as well? 
Um, I don't know if I would say self-care is, but I think that being real and being transparent has become a part of my identity. Um, I think that I learned that when I was chair in Nesby because I was elected to a role and I was responsible for 10,000 people mm. and I was in college and, <laughs> and I knew and this organization meant so much to me, but these were my constituents. I was technically a politician and I had to learn how to be a politician, but I wasn't trying to be a bad politician. I wasn't trying to be a corrupt politician. So <laughs> I got innovative and creative, you know, to talk to my members that were in Nigeria, my, my members that were in Liberia, my members that were in Boston, like whatever it needed to happen. Yeah. Um, but it taught me the importance of being real and authentic with people and building real connections with people because there's someone watching you. And even if, you know, to me, some of the small things I might have done didn't matter, but to the president, the chapter president at Columbia, it, it made a world of a difference. Yeah. And so those lessons I took with me, you know, into this adulthood time. And I think like that is what I would say st- sticks with me now in terms of the brand I think in terms of self-care um it's something that's important to me and I've learned the importance of balance uh in terms of like the work that we do and corporate work and then just life and it's okay when you need a pause it's okay when you need a break and you have every right to put yourself first and um I think maybe that part of it I've known for at least with amongst my friends, because I have no problem telling them like, or coaching them through like, nah, sis, you have every right to tell, tell them that you're not available after four, after like six, like you're, you're well within your right. right. You know? Yeah. Um, because not everybody can get there. Not everybody's like, you know, but it's my job. It's like, yeah, but like if something happened to you tomorrow, somebody else going to fill your role. Like they'll, yeah. they'll have somebody to do your job, but you know what I mean? They're, they're not going to show, like, you got to care about you. And um, I think that maybe that's the part of the self-care thing that sticks out with my brand. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you know, super important. And like glad that you, you got to that point, to that point for yourself as well um, in your career and, yeah, and being able to coach people down that road and yeah. such. So some of the other areas that we had said we'd allude to, um, can we talk about the both 30 under thirties and yeah. how those came to fruition? So the Nesby 30 under 30, there's a list of, or is it 31 under 30? I don't know, but it was a list. I don't remember how that came about. I think somebody nominated me or yeah. And it just, Nesby was doing this thing where they wanted to spotlight some of the young engineers doing great stuff in the community um, and, and in corporate America, not just like the community. And so I was fortunate enough to be chosen as one of the, the 31 or whoever. So that was pretty dope. Um, I was, I was still a consultant. I hadn't been promoted yet. So I think this might've been within the first year of being at the company, um, in terms of Forbes. So, you know, the cool thing about the Forbes under 30 situation, I'm not on the list y'all. I ain't make the list yet. Um, I got, yet. I got two years. So anybody out there want to nominate me this year, hey. they about to open up nomination. You know what I'm saying? Listeners. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the Forbes and the 30 conference, I, I just, you know, I thought it would be interesting to go to build connections, to try to connect with people, but then also to just, you know, hear from some people I cared about in terms of the world of finance and investing 
at this stage in my career and then you know Serena Williams was going to be there so I went to see Serena mm-hmm. um so and I love Detroit I think anybody listening to this needs to go visit the city of Detroit and so I just all those things combined really inf- influenced my decision to want to try to go to the under for, Forbes under 30 conference and it, it ended up being cool um I think that if I go back I want to go back as a speaker or someone on the list yeah I think that's that's where the value is in that space. Yeah. Um, but it, it gave me something to kind of strive for. So I appreciate it for that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know with Forbes in specific, I think that that came in a time for you where you are navigating some uncertainties with just like your career and what was next for you and such. Can you talk a little bit about how that small win may have redirected you at a time where where it was needed? I think what it did was it, I think it gave me a new infusion of energy in terms of what to strive for because I realized like, yo, the next time I come to this thing, man, I really would rather be, like I have stuff to say. I think list, sometimes when you listen to people on stage or you listen to people that other people think are like really important and you're like, man, I got better stuff to say about that mm. than, you know what I mean? Um, or like I have more to contribute. Like I want to, I want to add my voice to this discussion and that in of itself was a motivator. Um, and in the time to your point, like, I think that I needed it because I was feeling, I was, I don't know if it was so much uncertainty, but it wasn't the beginning of starting a new job in a new industry that I had no, no idea about. And so, um, hearing the stories of other people who either came no one I didn't meet anyone there that came from my background but just pivoted there's a lot of pivots in in the people that we view as successful and I just being in that energy in that space and having that poured into me uh gave me a new like a breath of fresh air to be honest with you so it, it I walked away with like okay I can do this okay I have something to strive for if I want my voice to be heard in that way like okay I know what I gotta do yeah yeah so I feel like with all of these different time periods from the time that you were, you know, at zero and then one degree mm-hmm. where you've kind of identified this area identity of leadership and of, you know, STEM and really trying to to be able to communicate with people effectively, but bring some of that technical, critical thinking analysis there were pieces of self-doubt woven between Mm -hmm. one of my favorite things that you've created is a podcast which was titled oh you want me to say it oh certainly it was was taking me a minute to remember certainly qualified (laughs) (laughs) yeah certainly qualified and I love what, what it stands for and what you were able to to achieve with that. So I want you to talk a little bit about what Certainly Qualified was, mm-hmm. what it meant, why why it was titled what it was, mm-hmm. and what you had intended to achieve. Yeah, so Certainly Qualified came about during one of those times when I was a consultant without a project. And I was on my couch, and I was like, man, I don't, what else can I be doing with my life? Like, I don't know about this. And not so much of like, 
I wanted to leave consulting, but I was like, this is too much downtime to just be on my couch watching Grey's Anatomy or going to spin class. So I thought back to like, if I was like, what would I need right now? If I was thinking back to a time that was hard and I thought back to the whole GPA stuff, I thought back to school and I was like, man, I wish I had a resource or something that could tell me how to navigate this rough time of feeling like I'm not qualified to be here. And that's really where it came from. Um, it, it literally came out of that, you know, reflecting and thinking to that moment. And I think the name certainly qualified didn't come at that particular moment, but the concept did. And initially it was intended to really share stories, share, um, it's like 30 minutes of just like a dose of how we find ourselves in circumstances that prove that the things that we see in ourselves as flaws are what really enable us to be who we're called to be, to then be qualified to do what we're supposed to do. And I felt like people needed that. People needed to know that you're not always going to check all the boxes off. You know, you're not always going to meet all of the requirements. You might you might actually be the complete opposite of what the requirement is, but that does not mean that you can't be used to bless somebody. You can't be used to um, be in a space or in a career that needs your presence, right, um, or in a community that needs you. And so that's what it was. That's what it was supposed to be. That was the intention, just like, you know, 30 minutes, a, not a week, but 30-minute podcast to kind of bring people to a place where I feel like I was starting to get to and understanding that your flaws sometimes are really what makes you the best candidate to do what you're supposed to do. What was the most rewarding thing from that experience? I learned that people actually want to hear what I have to say Mm. (laughs) because (laughs) I mean, like I don't know. Like, you know, you always think about yourself like, man, I'm just a regular, regular person, which I feel like I am. I am. You know, I'm not no famous person. But yeah, when <laughs> yet <laughs> I appreciate that. But what when I like I when I wasn't rec- when I didn't record or I didn't drop a new episode, people that I didn't even really have relationship with would be like, yo, when's the next episode dropping? Like what's going on? Or they might listen to the second episode and be like, yo, I needed that this week. I was on my way to work. This is crazy. Don't da-da-da. And, like, these are not my friends. Like, no shade. But these are just, like, associates. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, oh, people really out here. People really are, like, this is resonating with people in an interesting way. And that was probably the biggest lesson that, like, yeah, I may not have 10,000 followers on, on social media, but, like, the... 1700 followers I do have actually care what I say yeah you know and and I think you know and that that was built not just from being on Instagram but that was built from in-person like genuine connections yeah you know I mean it just so happens that these people might follow me but like in real life if I put out a call to action like people might actually do the stuff I ask them to do yeah that's an interesting that's an interesting privilege to have that power like for God to bless me with the ability to be able to mobilize people is very interesting. And I learned that through that process. From the time that I heard the podcast, I was always really intrigued by the concept. And 
I remember calling you immediately. I was about to say, yeah. yo, let me tell y'all how this man Mark called me, right? <laughs> I was still in the closet. I had just pressed like upload. Let me stop. I was like, Mark called me. He's like, yo, bro, this is great. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> if anybody knows Mark, you know the energy he be hitting you with when he's excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when the product is good, for sure. Um, now nah, I was just, I was so inspired by it. And I felt it. I felt it. Yeah. On so many levels, I think I had been thinking about a lot of similar things. Mm -hmm. And so that was like, it was a breath of fresh air. And I mean, I think that we need more conversations with transparency. Yeah. I think that this is what helps anyone who's creating or anyone who's navigating life feel more at ease with where they are in their journey. Because they realize that everybody has a journey. So... Uh, it resonated with me for so many reasons. Yeah. I was wondering, have you thought about what, what comes next? Does that project spin into something else? Or, um, you know, what, like what, what kind of, what's the future of, you know, that ideal look like? Um, so it's interesting you ask that because I, that's something I've been thinking about. Um, for the listeners, uh, it's kind of on pause right now. And <laughs> <laughs> you can still go listen to it, but... Um, so I've been thinking about that lately and I do have an idea actually, uh, that I haven't fully explored yet. It's kind of just a spark, um, in terms of what I could turn that, that, you know, that into, you know, what I can make from it, what I can, how I can use it for this point in my life. And I think it's a good idea. Um, whether it will be a podcast format, I don't know, but, um, I think what I what I'll say is that I'm excited by the prospect of what it can be um, because I think to your point it'll still serve the pur- it'll still be able to serve the original purpose of certainly qualified it'll yeah. just be under a different brand or a different name absolutely um, and I started thinking about that because I just released my own my personal website and thinking about like what content and things I want to include in that and a, that's a part of this. So That's it's amazing. It's it's like you know rumbling. You know it's brewing. Yeah, you know what I'm saying like you know it's being brewed. We will see what what comes of it. Yeah, I know when we were on air, or sorry, right before we were on air, we were talking a little bit about your journey, and you had talked, you had spoken to how you felt that you were rumbling, brewing mm-hmm. in this current period of life, and. Getting to a point where it felt like things were about to take off. Yeah. And um, we alluded to the fact that you were in private equity now, which is a new role. Yeah. And in this current period of time, there's a lot of potential transition that may be coming up in the next one to two years and such. Yeah. Um, as I as we break out the different points of the process of, of boiling water on 99 Celsius... The one point that's so peculiar to me is 71 degrees Celsius. That's the temperature that, for the first time in that journey of heating up that water, you begin to see any kind of change mm-hmm. visually in what that water looks like. Yeah. And it's not quite boiling, boiling yeah. but it, you start to see small bubbles mm-hmm. and such. And given the fact that you feel like you're you're not at that boiling point yet but what does that 71 degrees what may that look like for you what might that look like for you in the sense of 
how do you expect it to to you know to feel like what what kind of things do you think you'll be doing um where you you have identified that oh I'm not quite there but I can tell that this is the exact direction so after you stopped talking all I could think about was um what I've discovered about like my journey so far is I I'm Sakari Brown and I've gone from building buildings to building companies right I've gone from construction to private equity and I believe personally that going from building buildings to building companies is that's it. That's the tagline on my life. I don't know what the rest of this looks like to your point. Right. I don't, I don't really see. Okay. I know, but I know that I'm going to keep building companies, whether that's as a private equity investor or as a CEO. Wow. Right. I just don't see right now where, how that, how I even get to that point. What I, think it would feel like because I feel like I'm, I'm getting there right what I think it'll feel like is um a little bit more peace about uh the journey for lack yeah. of a better term because I think right now I'm restless I'm just like all right come on like what what are we doing what's mm. going on what's going on how can I you know what I'm saying and and I think sometimes in restlessness you miss the opportunity to perfect your craft wow and so what I'm working on now is how to calm that so that I can get good at building companies, that I can get good at this thing called private equity so that in six months, whenever that ne- whatever whatever time it is, where the next step is, I'm going to be good. Like, I'm not going to be perfect because it's only a year. In private equity, you guys spend time to really get this yeah. stuff. But I think I'll start to feel a little bit more at peacefulness. That's the only thing I can think about in terms of how it will start to feel because I I think that there's so much that I don't know in terms of how how this is going to look but I know that right now I don't feel that peace and maybe it's just that I just hope to feel that peace when Mm. I get to the 71 degrees but I I'm pretty confident that I will I will start to feel like at ease about what's happening because I think things will start to be revealed to me that I can start to really see how this comes together, how that tagline makes sense. Yeah. I, first of all, that's an amazing tagline. <laughs> right. I, I love Yo, building buildings crazy. to building companies. That's crazy. Um, I can't wait to see where that ends up showing up. But I'd like to push back a little bit as far as, you know, the idea of peace. Because yeah. um, I think that you're you're worthy and able to create that peace for yourself even before that Mm -hmm. happens. That's my personal belief that um, because we know that we don't have all the answers and because we know that it is a journey and water does have to go from zero to 99 in incremental steps and then eventually reach 100, we know that it's a process. And my personal belief is that because we're all on the journey of a process and, you know, we, we essentially know that that's the way it goes, I encourage you to to have peace along the way yeah. because you know that it is going to work out regardless and that, you know, you are along the way on that journey and yeah. such. So, um, you know, I, I for me, I want to encourage you to not wait to get to the point where you feel like you've reached that, that final, you yeah. know, 
that that point where you're like, man, this is what I wanted to achieve before you started to feel at peace internally. Yeah. I mean, no, no, that's good. I think that, you know, I have, I have faith. I, I definitely have faith. I think that, uh, there's just a calmness that I don't have right now, not because I'm afraid of what's not going to happen, mm-hmm. but just because of that sense of like, I don't know. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, it's like, I know to be honest with you, a hundred percent, I know what's going to happen is going to be great. Yeah. I have no doubt in my mind out at all. Like I'm not doubting it. Like it's about to be lit. I could tell you that right now. My life about to be lit. I'm just a, a super type a person. And so like letting go of that control, exactly. Lord Jesus, God, like I'm like looking at that guy, like, come on, can you give me a little hint, <laughs> a little vision? You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's where it's like, that's where I'm looking for that calmness to, to strike through. Mm-hmm. And to your point, you're right. Like you can, I can start doing that now. I can start being intentional about bringing myself to that calmness because of because of the fact that I know I'm good. Like I have the faith that it's going to be all right. Um, Out of curiosity, what does that look like for you? Calm. Calmness in, in, in or implementing things right now that you think will provide some of that tranquility. Well, the first thing for me is um, I, I know I need a therapist. And I, so I have set up two consultations with two therapists in the oh. area. And um, I think that'll be one of the first things for me to bring some calmness Um, because there's a lot. I mean, you know, you know how I feel about therapy. I think everybody should do it. Um, And I think there's a lot, not just for my career, but just like with my life that talking to a professional could help like bring ease to because the way my mind works is like, Lord, you know, <laughs> be going down different options, different rabbit holes, popping out that rabbit hole, jumping into the next rabbit hole. It's just like, <laughs> it is not going to work by myself. So, you know, I think that's one part of what it looks like for me. The other part is like my routine of my fitness routine. Mm. Really, I found that the times when I'm on it and like it's, I'm, I'm steady on it. It don't have to be nothing crazy, but like just moving my body three, 30 minutes a day. I have so much more clarity and like um I'm able to just understand a lot more things and see a little bit more um and that brings me peace so I think those like those are start the things that will start to like bring it that I can like really leverage and be serious about to make sure it happens you know not wait to the 71 degree point you know that's beautiful on that note I would like to thank you so much sincerely we done yeah man you dropped a lot of gems Dang, you know, I was felt like I was just warming up. Look at that. I was at 71. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> man, Mark then got me to 71. Now I'm just over here like little bubbles. That's hey, good. man. <laughs> we, can, we can extend it or we can do a part two another time. Well, we, we'll see what the people want. If the people want a part two, I'm glad. I'm happy to come back. Hey, if y'all want to call me back, please comment, DM, whatever it is. Let us know. Let me know. Um, but, y'all, I'm honored. Thank you for taking the time to talk. Thanks I feel like I learned me. a lot about you that I didn't know. <laughs> so I'm excited for the audience to get to have that information as well. Yeah. But, um, you know, I'm going to be here regardless. But for the audience, hopefully y'all are following along on Sukari's journey. I think she's going to be doing amazing things. She's already doing amazing things. But I think as she comes into her own and continues to find that inner tranquility and peace that you know, she's going to be a force to be reckoned with and such. So. Uh, really excited for you. Thank Thanks, you for, for allowing me to to have your time and for spreading these good vibes and knowledge to the people. Yes, always, man. All right.
And uh, you want to give out your handles? Oh, sure. Uh, so you can follow me on Instagram at Sukari. That's S-U-K-A-R-I underscore, underscore, underscore. So that's three underscores. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Sukari Brown. Or you can follow my, go to my website now, SukariBrown.com. Mm. Wow. Look at mm. that. Fancy schmancy. Look at that. Um, and you can get all the information at SukariBrown.com. Like my handles, you can sign up for my mailing list, all that stuff. Yeah. That's a bet. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Peace and love. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of 99 Celsius. Again, I'm your host, Marco Quay. For updates on the pod, follow us on Instagram at 99Celsius, all spelled out. New episodes air each and every Monday. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share the pod with others. Until next time.